Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to John, the third chapter, verses 1 through 17. Hear now the word of God. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh. And what is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the wind blow where it chooses. And you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. These are always difficult verses for a lot of preachers, myself included, I think, to come to. But is it because these verses include John 3.16, probably the most well-known verse in the Bible. You've seen it painted on signs at sporting events. You've seen it painted on people's faces even. You've seen it. You've heard it so many times. Many of you, if you're like me, may even have trouble reading it. In a newer translation, like the New Revised Standard Version, I just read because in your brain, even though you don't read the King James Bible in your, for your private study, you still want to say those words in King James English. But I want us to think this morning about these all-important words in a new way because I think when we take John 3.16 in the broader context of the whole set of verses and this encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus, they take on a even deeper meaning. Let's look first at sort of what's going on. We're introduced in these verses to Nicodemus, who we're told is a Pharisee, which makes him kind of unusual. Elsewhere in the New Testament, the Pharisees are usually antagonists to Jesus. Jesus uses the Pharisees as sort of the foil in much of his teaching. The gospel writers are sure to point out to us those encounters where Jesus seems to sort of debate 
Pharisees or condemn Pharisees. He uses Pharisees as the bad guys in his parable sometimes. But we're reminded here that not every Pharisee must have been bad because here comes Nicodemus. And he refers to Jesus as rabbi, meaning teacher, a term of respect. He's acknowledging the religious leader that Jesus is. He says, we know you come from God because of the signs you're doing. How could you not come from God? And he doesn't say these things sarcastically as elsewhere we see Pharisees speaking to Jesus using terms of respect, but using them in backhanded, sarcastic ways. Nicodemus comes to us as a true seeker. He's a Pharisee, a religious leader. The Pharisees whose sphere of influence was the synagogue. Nicodemus himself would have been a preacher and a teacher. And he's one who is supposed to have all the answers. He's one, Nicodemus is, to whom people in his synagogue would come to with the deep burning questions. And Nicodemus would have thought that he had it all figured out. He had an answer for every question by the strict system of laws and rules that he and the other Pharisees preached and followed. He was okay with God and God was okay with him. Yet, when he's confronted with the teaching of Jesus, he has a sense that there's something missing. And so he goes to Jesus. Many commentators note out that Nicodemus goes to Jesus at night, seemingly wanting to be there when no one else can see him, that he sort of sneaks in to where Jesus is so that the other Pharisees won't know that he's there. But he goes and he asks Jesus for Help me understand who you are. Help me understand what this all means for me and what I'm supposed to do as a teacher myself. And so Jesus talks about being born again. And Nicodemus becomes more confused. And then Jesus speaks the words of verses 16 and 17. Hear them again. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son so that everyone who believes in Him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Jesus here is speaking about faith. He's speaking about what He was going to do in the world in His death about the atoning death that He would have for all of us. And He's saying, and this is good news though, because He's speaking of grace. He's saying, when you accept the grace that is offered through Christ, these words come true. That through the death of Jesus, we can have eternal life by having faith in Him as the Son of God and having a relationship with Him. Then, we can be made right. And that just explodes Nicodemus's worldview because he would have believed that what you needed to be right with God would mean following all the rules or doing everything just right, not doing anything you weren't supposed to do, doing everything you were supposed to do. And Jesus says it's not about following rules anymore, though there are certainly things we should and shouldn't do. But Jesus changes things 
and introduces us, though he doesn't use the word grace, to the idea of grace. That through Jesus and through faith and belief in Jesus, we experience the grace of God and we can be changed. That's not what Nicodemus was looking for. I think Nicodemus probably came to Jesus with some expectations of the kind of things Jesus would say. Yet when Nicodemus gets there, Jesus says things that are totally unexpected. And I wonder if that set Nicodemus' life on a course he never would have expected it to go. Our expectations are heavy for us. Because Nicodemus had expectations for himself. He had expectations for who Jesus would be. And in talking about a second birth and in talking about the God's love as he does in verses 16 and 17, Jesus says, everything you expected, Nicodemus, is not going to happen. How many of us have dealt with that, though? Sometimes our expectations for what our lives would be or could be or not how they work out. Think about how you thought your life would be when you were a child or a teenager or a college student starting out in life. How does it stack up against what happened? When I walked across the stage and got my Wofford diploma, the last thing in the world I thought I would be was a United Methodist minister. Yet here I stand. And I'm really glad that's where I stand. My expectations for myself were not what God had for me to do, but through a process, here I stand. Do you have things in your life that you were sure were going to work out one way and they worked out another? And maybe even at the time, it seemed like a bad idea. But you can see in hindsight that it was exactly what was supposed to happen. I wonder. I wonder if that's what Nicodemus started to deal with that day or that night when he left Jesus. The expectations he had for himself began to change, but change for the better as he followed in what God had for him to do. Because Jesus certainly gave Nicodemus some unexpected stuff. He's having a hard time, Nicodemus is, understanding what God's grace is really about because he's used to thinking in terms of religious structure. Sometimes we just can't know what's going on. Sometimes we just can't know what's next. That God doesn't guarantee any future circumstance. He doesn't guarantee uninterrupted prosperity, but we can trust that God will lead us through whatever circumstances we face and that God will work to make the best out of whatever happens, even in the face of difficulty. We can trust that God, having given us His grace, will by His grace work within us to make us more like Jesus, to draw us closer to Himself. We must be open to the idea that what God has for us or wants us to do doesn't necessarily conform to our expectations. Nicodemus received that shock. And I think John underscores for us Nicodemus's shock because you may have noticed we don't have Nicodemus's response. We're just told he left, and that's the end of it. You know, in the movie version, as we play it in our heads, maybe we see Nicodemus fall at Jesus' feet, call him Lord, and take his place as one of the disciples. But we don't know what happened. 
We have no idea. And I think that's important. Stick a pin in that idea because we're coming back to it. One of the things that, that Jesus uses to truly shatter Nicodemus' expectations is this idea of second birth, of being born again, which Nicodemus points out is flatly impossible. But Jesus then uses as a way to say, I'm not talking about a literal physical second birth. I'm talking about a spiritual rebirth. In formal theological language, we call that regeneration. Where something, when God gives us His grace, when we respond in faith to Jesus, that something that, that was holding us back from God goes away and something better and new takes its place. That's, that's a high and mighty theological concept, but maybe it's something you can relate to on a more down-to-earth level. That we can remain the same person, yet we can be essentially in a way changed by what we go through. Some years ago, I was invited back to preach a revival at my home church. They hadn't done a revival in years and years and years, and they were trying to think of ways to maybe, um, I don't know what they were thinking, that they wanted to get a fire started in, at Thompson First QMC. I don't know why they thought bringing me in to preach would do that, but that's what they did. And my parents moved away from that town um, after high school for me and, and didn't go back. Uh, they retired there, but so there's a 20 or so year gap between the last time most of those people saw me and then when I stepped into the pulpit to preach. And there uh, was a lot, so there's a few friends from high school I've kept in touch with and that, that sort of thing. But for the most part, it's parents of friends and other people who were adults in church when I was there who were there and coming to hear me. And I guess I look different. I, I can't imagine why. But as, I st- after the, as I'm reconnecting with people, there was a, a, a man who I had known when we were there, and he walked up to me. He said, where's that skinny kid I used to know? I said, well, he, he's under all this. When I was there, I was, uh, I was 150 pounds when I graduated from high school, and I was the same height. If I turned sideways, I didn't cast a shadow. I was skinny is what I'm saying. But I had since leaving Thompson, I acquired this protective layer over all that. But it was still me. I think he was saying, in a joking way, you know, you're not who you, you, you are you, but you've changed. And that wasn't a negative thing. One, uh, one mother of a friend of mine from high school told her daughter, she said, I told her that you filled out. I don't know what that means, but I hope it's good. But think about it in your own life. Those of you who were married, at some point you had a boyfriend or a girlfriend who became a fiancé. And at some point that fiancé became a wife or a husband. All of you are who are adults were at one point children, and all of you who are children will one day be adults. But you'll still be you. You will be changed. We spend our lives going through changes and processes and becoming something other than what we were, but you're still you, but you're changed. I think of the story of Paul, who we just heard from when we had our epistle reading from the book of Romans, who, who come to us, which comes to us as a letter from Paul to the church in Rome. We consider the story of Paul. 
Paul was a persecutor of the church. We know from Acts that he was involved in the death of Stephen, who was the first Christian martyr. In my mind, he was at the edge of the crowd, stirring up a lynch mob. Stephen is killed under Saul's leadership, because then he was called Saul. Under his leadership, persecution in Jerusalem became so uh, pronounced that people, Christians began to leave Jerusalem. While on the, he was leaving Jerusalem on the way to Damascus to persecute Christians there, while along the way he had a radical conversion experience. Not only did he become Christian, but he was also called to religious Christian leadership. He was called to the ministry, to use our words. And he goes back to Jerusalem. And I always, in my mind, if there were... If I could pick two or three places in the Bible to be and observe firsthand, this is one I would want to see. When Paul went back to Jerusalem and he walked into the room where James and Peter, who were the leaders of the Jerusalem church, were sitting. And he walked in and said, hey, I'm one of y'all now. And also, I want to be in charge of some stuff. And I'd like you to help me understand what that would be. And James and Peter, I imagine, did they want to run away? Were they ready to defend themselves? Were they inclined toward violence? I think about them, but I also think about how did Paul feel? Knowing who he was and knowing what he had been, yet walking into that room and taking a mantle of leadership. All of us have things we would do over. All of us have things maybe we wish we could undo or unsay. But the good news, and, and to me that's part of what these verses are about, is that by the grace of Jesus Christ, we get a do-over. We get a whole life, whole person do-over. That when we respond in faith to Jesus Christ, that which kept us from God is done away with and something wonderful and new has taken its place. We are a new creation but God loves us so much. Maybe you've heard the expression that God loves us so much that He accepts us and loves us where we are, but He loves us too much to leave us there. God continues by His grace to work in our lives even after we come to faith in Jesus. So that it's not a, a once and done sort of thing that because we continue to mess up. We continue to, to do things in our lives we shouldn't, to say things we shouldn't to omit to do things we should have, and God knows that. And so God's grace continues to work within us to lead us toward a life that's more like Jesus. We might not always get there, but we get do-over after do-over after do-over. And to me, that's part of the good news of these verses, that because of God's incredible love for us in Jesus Christ, we have this, that God truly so loved us that He gave His Son for us and that He gave His Son that the whole world might know God's love and grace. And so we come back to Nicodemus. Remember I pointed out a moment ago we don't have Nicodemus' response. I believe that's intentional. I believe it's because in these verses Nicodemus stands in for you and for me. He takes our place standing before the Savior having heard the most wonderful news possible, that it's for us, for you, for me, 
And we're left to ask, what does Nicodemus do? How does Nicodemus respond? And in so doing, we are called through these verses, I think, to ask ourselves, how are we going to respond? Can we trust God to make us into something new? Can we trust God to make us into something we might not even consider possible? Can we trust God that his expectations for us and our expectations for ourselves might not be the same thing? Can we trust God to lead us into being something more? Can we trust God to lead us into being who he's called us to be? Will you pray with me? Loving God, in the glory of the cross, your son embraced the power of death and broke its hold over your people. In this season of repentance, draw all people to yourself that we who confess Jesus as Lord may put aside the deeds of death and accept the life of your kingdom. We pray in his holy name. Amen.